I've really noticed when, when things are really going well, especially the last five years, I really noticed it. People would be like, you know, especially sellers, you know, something would get hard, um, you know, they something would go wrong for a quarter or two and they'd be like, it's not worth it. I'm yeah. going on to my next. <laughs> not worth it going on to my yeah. next and starting over. Yeah. Just because it's hard and something does go right once doesn't mean that you should give up on it. Right? Normally the best things in the world are really hard to achieve. Best things in the world are hard yeah. to achieve. You gotta work for them. Right? It's not easy. Everybody would do it. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Jerry Bruner. Jerry is the president of Global Field Operations at Enable. And as Jerry shares in our conversation today, Enable is a great example of the fascinating ways in which SaaS continues to disrupt and transform legacy markets. In the case of Enable, it's right at the heart of the global supply chains and commercial trading and given how much we hear about supply chain issues at the moment, this is a really interesting conversation about how commerce happens. We also dive in the topic that I'm asking many of my sales leader guests at the moment, which is given the impending recession or high risk of, of recession or even worse stagflation, what are they doing to prepare their sales teams for a slowdown? We get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Jerry, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. I also want to remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern human-centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without resorting to use of the sales behaviors that so many buyers dislike. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. All right, let's jump into it. Jerry, welcome to the show. Uh, Andy, thank you for having me. It's just actually really uh, an honor to be here. Oh, pleasure to have you. And uh, you're joining us from where? San Francisco. Is that why? Do I see the fog behind you from the in the window? Or <laughs> you definitely see the windows are closed because there's no sun here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you're. If you mentioned earlier, you're sort of out toward the ocean. Um, so yeah, you're in the fog belt, definitely, right? Definitely here in the fog belt. It's it's great. I can walk to the Golden Gate Bridge, and it's beautiful. But what comes with that is morning fog every morning. Yeah. Well, and I. Carl. Yeah. Years ago, when I lived in the down on the peninsula in Palo Alto, uh, our San Francisco friends during the summer would come visit us for Sundays on the weekend. So, uh, and I don't mean this, I don't mean Sunday, the Sunday, they would come to get the sun and spend the day <laughs> in the sun. So I can appreciate that. So, um, tell us a bit about you and, uh, enable. Yes, definitely. So, um, I'm part of a tremendous team here at enable, uh, a real high growth, uh, rocket ship startup here. Then we're, disrupting the $71 trillion supply chain deal economy. And so the team I'm part of, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it, but the team I'm part of is called Global Field Operations. And when I joined, I think I was number 16, and we're now over a couple hundred mm -hmm. and in a year. So it's been an exciting, exciting, exciting run for us. Oh, yeah, in a year. So, well, yeah, so <laughs> you call it the supply chain deal economy, which, yeah, yeah I think that, I mean, I, I was really fascinated, sir spending time on your website and researching and it's like, yeah, I don't think a lot of people are aware of this whole idea about the rebates, the manufacturer's rebates and so on. Yeah. I mean, people sort of hear rebates, I think, you know, B to C, right. As a consumer, but this is a you know huge part of how buying gets done um, on the industrial level and commercial level. So what, tell us a little bit about what you do then. 
Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's truly amazing what a what a huge huge market this is and the addressable market. Every I hated it too. When you hear the words rebate, you think of like mailing in a coupon for right. five dollars back after you buy something. Right. And you're like, that's terrible. No one, no one, no one does that. And it's funny, even a lot of investors that I'll meet with when I was joining, they were like, what are you, what are you doing? What are, what are, what's rebates? What are deals? Right. Um, it, for me, it's unbelievable what a large market and how it hasn't been disrupted. Right. Andy. And if you think of global supply chain, global supply chain, $80 trillion, right? 90% of it goes through distributors or partners. Mm-hmm. You have hundreds of millions of manufacturers who make a product. You have billions of distributors. And then you have retailers and customers, three legs, right? Someone makes a product, they go to a distributor, they go to a retailer, and then an end user, right? That's the global supply chain. Right. What people don't realize is those manufacturers are trying to incent behavior. And those distributors are trying to incent behavior. A lot like sales commission, mm-hmm. right? They, the manufacturer wants the distributor to move a certain amount of their product within a certain time. And they're going to pay for that. Right. Right. And, and and by the way, the profit now is almost 100 percent of the profit for the year. 100 percent. It used to be 10 or 20 percent. Nice bonus. Now, these incentives and rebates are almost 100 percent of profit for manufacturers, distributors and retailers. It's amazing to me that um, they haven't digitized this. They haven't got an application software. It hasn't come in to take this on. To, to manage the payment, basically, of or tra- yes. the, tracking, and the tracking. tracking and the payment of the, the rebate. Yes. So, so a manufacturer goes to a, let's say a distributor goes, hey, manufacturer, you owe me $100 million because I moved $50 million of your product in 20 days, like we agreed. And they say, what are you talking about? No, you didn't. I show that you only, you know, moved 500 of them or half. And then they have an argument. And the reason they do that is because when they agreed upon it, they had a contract that laid all this out. And then they either emailed it to each other or or faxed it or, or sent it via mail or have it on a spreadsheet and they can't track it. So there's no third party ledger, no third party ledger where they can both agree to a contract and see how they're both, con- you know, tracking toward that. Right. Payment, and which so is where enable comes in. Yeah. And just so to go back to the beginning is, is, yeah, as the manufacturer wants to move a certain amount of product, obviously the distributor is not the end end customer they have it do the rebates are flow downhill i guess to some degree yeah so yeah i remember years ago working for a company that good size company that offered this to you know their distributors is mm-hmm. is like a performance based discount is sort of the way i looked at it yeah yeah and 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 the industry average for distributors and this is just distributors industry average it it used to be 25% of their profit 25% of their profit was rebates it was bonuses. rebates yeah now it's come to sometimes more than 100%. They're selling product at under cost to claim back the rebate. So it's amazing how much this has shifted. <laughs> They've shifted because now when you get a major manufacturer, you're now just trying to move product and move SKUs. So the math works out, as you're saying, is that, that yeah. your rebate is going to exceed by a multiple your yeah. cost on the product. Yeah. What's the incentive for yeah, what's the incentive for the manufacturer, though? To... Because then they get more of their product to market. So they're trying to drive top-line revenue. Just top if line. I move okay. more product, I'm selling more top-line revenue. It goes both ways. So, you know, it's great for Enable because we have, you know, if you have suppliers, you have rebates. If you have customers, you're giving rebates. Right. So we're on the buy and the sell side of every company. 
Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. It was one of the, when I was going to the research, I was like, okay, yeah, you're on both sides of it. Now, do you guys, from a business model standpoint, do you share in any of that? Yeah, absolutely. So we started... Our, our founders started as a distributor. They were in they were in the you know in the IT department, the e-commerce department right. of a distributor, and the, and the distributor was like, I keep having these arguments with my manufacturer, right? And the manufacturers they were the largest household distributor in the UK at the time, and their manufacturers were Procter and Gamble, Gillette, PG, and they kept arguing over all this profit, and the profit kept getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, the rebate was the profit, right? Right, I, and and they were like. You got to write, you know, the e-commerce would write us an application to track this, and so they did. And then the manufacturer was like, "This is great. Can I use it for my other distributors?" <laughs> and then other distributors were like, "Wait, can we get a copy of that?" <laughs> and so suddenly, Enable was born, right? And what we found was that even though we started in the distributors, almost forty percent of our business distributors go to retailers. Now we have some of the largest retailers in the world now using our product, and we now have some of the largest manufacturing in the world because we all started buy side and sell side and they really saw our product. Right. And so, yeah, you're also, it looked like what you also handle sort of on the marketing side in terms of market development funds and some of these other yeah. special incentives you do for moving product. Yeah. Andy, it's funny the language that I've learned besides, you know, you know, British English, which right. is fun because it's a UK company. I've learned a lot of words there, but within this rebate, Trade promotion management, market development funds, right. retros, actives, commissions, accelerate. Like there is a million words to describe this. I hate to say it, call it a shadow economy, but it is trillions of dollars being handled by spreadsheets and email and people talking about these things. And so, do you guys sort of act almost like a marketplace to some degree? Yeah, we what we so, we feel we're the third party trusted ledger between the two. So with a large manufacturing distributor, they both agree to a contract, financial SKUs, everything, and they track it the entire time. They both log into the system and they're looking at where their agreement is. So they always know, am I close to hitting that next tier? How much more SKU do I have to deliver? What do I have to do to get to that next bonus? And that's all on Enable. That's all on Enable. Yeah, this type of thing is so cool. I mean, as you said, people don't really understand it's like a shadow economy, but yeah, we're talking about seventy trillion dollars, you know, passing through in rebates that basically are meant to drive top line growth. Yeah, it's it's it is amazing. And I sort of yeah. had exposure to that I worked for back not to date myself unnecessarily in the early days of Apple, and yeah, we used rebates and and market development yeah. funds, co op, you know, all those things to through yeah. distribution yeah. channels to get them to uh, move product. And it's amazing to me that some cloud-first company, cloud-native something, hadn't come on and taken this on. All the old-school ERP vendors try to do it, but it's legacy on-prem right. solutions, right? And then Excel, everyone. But, you know, these companies, and we're talking Fortune 20 companies, right. you know, that are customers of ours. I'm like, show me how you're doing it now. And they're like, oh, here's the spreadsheet we send back and forth every day. <laughs> and I'm like, well, then how do you decide who's right on the spreadsheet? And they're like, oh, well, get an argument about it and talk about it. And then, you know, 900 days later, we resolve it. I'm like, amazing. Well, it sounds like it's sort of almost like a ideal, maybe you guys are heading this way, application for blockchain that they could trans transact on your platform. 
ideal, ideal, ideal for our blockchain. We're not, we're not quite there yet. You know, we have a big market we're going to go serve now. And we're just now getting started, but definitely, definitely in conversations on the roadmap, Andy. Very, very adroit of you to, figure, to point toward that. Yeah, yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Well, another thing that's and I think is interesting, and you can explain to people, is because part of this sort of shadow economy, and I got exposed to this with a company I worked with years ago, this whole idea of buying groups, because mm-hmm. yeah, these are entities that wield such incredible purchase power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so explain to people if they're not familiar with yeah, what buying groups are. Yeah, buying groups are, and you know, some of our greatest customers are, are buying groups. So buying groups. What they're trying to do is collective buying power. The more you buy together, the more power you have in negotiations, right? Mm-hmm. So buying groups vary, and, and, and AED is one of the largest buying groups in North America, $40 billion, longtime customer of Enable, and one of our first customers in the United States. Maybe, and these buying groups will set up these deals, and they will do it. So instead of having you know one, one wholesaler or distributor um, do it. They go and they'll represent, you know, 500 and they'll buy on behalf of them and set price and negotiations. And we help them with that. Huh? How do they avoid antitrust? <laughs> because you know, you have all these, uh, I'll leave the Sherman act to the attorneys. Yeah. I was going to say all these similar companies that, that group together. I mean, I first heard about them in, um, consumer electronics retailers yeah. would join together in buying groups to buy from big consumer electronics manufacturers. Yes. Yes. I, you know, um, we don't have any consumer electronics. I have, I have auto products. I have electrical, I have construction, I have HVAC, I have plumbing. I haven't had consumer electronics yet. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that'll be on the roadmap soon, but, um, I understand the, the, the advantages of it. I definitely understand it. And I understand why they do it. Um, I also understand about being part of it. If your supplier is important and being on that list and being critical. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're <laughs> as a supplier, you definitely want to be on that list, right? <laughs> yes. Well, yes and no, because then, I mean, it's, it's like doing business with Walmart, you know, they're dictating prices to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true too, but I'd feel better if they were dictating to a large buying group than to me individually. I might have had to negotiate with Walmart in the past. And as a small company, that's no fun at all. Well, well you used to work at Apple and, you know, I, I spent a lot of time and I said, yeah, Apple is my customer. That was, a, that was always a fun negotiation yeah. with Apple. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> well, so, so tell us how you got your journey in sales started. Um, I, it's, it's an interesting story, Andy, um, not because um, it's traditional. Because I was very different. A lot of people will, you know, start as a BDR, go to inside sales, go to mid-market sales, go to field sales, mm-hmm. go to sales management, you know, and that's how they spend. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. A lot of my people I know who are who are great, and a lot of your guests have that background. Yeah. And they have a lot of intelligence and great experience. Um, for me, uh, I was always much more curious about a business. I know curiosity is one of the traits yes. that you often speak right. about. And, and for me, that's one of the traits that I really value in, in our in, in employees. We actually test for curiosity. Oh, you do? Interview. Yeah. How do you, we test how, for well, it. Let's, let's stop there and let's talk about that. How do we, how do we test for it? Um, we, we do a couple ways and, and you can't, and you have to be 
um, less obvious about it. Mm-hmm. You can do the behavioral interviews everyone does, and everyone does the star technique, and then you're, you know, you're, or you're not. What, what we're looking for from people is we look at their background, and and we don't look for the sales background. You know, people are saying that there's a you know great recognition and talent. We we, we hired seventy three last mm-hmm. quarter, and we're going to do even better this quarter. We're finding talent everywhere. You just got to look for the right, right. talent in the right, right way. Um, we test for curiosity a few ways. We look at their background, and then when we t- when we ask them about what they liked or disliked about it, we talk about what are some of the great things that you discovered during it. Mm-hmm. And and then when we talk about their customers, or you know if they're in an industry, or we hire from different fields, we talk about tell me about you know why that was fascinating to you, mm-hmm. or talk to me about what you learned during mm-hmm. this, right? Because that should people who are cu- genuinely curious and ask questions can can be like one of the best salespeople I've ever had. One of the best salespeople, you know, came from a field marketing role. Yeah, came from a field marketing role, and they were dynamic. They were curious about everything. Right. Curious about everything. And I remember you would ask them about one of their customers, a major airline, and they'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I found out they're opening an international terminal. I found out how they hedge their fuel costs. I understand how what their biggest. I mean, they found this out through not not nothing but being curious and asking yeah. questions." Yeah, and then yeah, just like how much they learned that the competitors didn't know about, so they could actually help them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and we actually do it on 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 calls when we're doing deal review calls. Uh, I'm not asking about the deal and the structure. You know, we have leaders for that mm-hmm. on our team. I'm asking, tell me about the people. Yep. Tell me about what the business is going to do because if you aren't curious about it when during the whole process, and you spend months. It's amazing what you get on Google nowadays that no one looks at. <laughs> I was going into negotiation with the CFO, and I found out his brother was the CEO, and and he loved um, you know humanitarian efforts and right. you know those are all important things to know. You have right. to be curious. Be yeah. curious about your customer. Absolutely. Okay. Love that. So let's go back to your story. So you had non-traditional. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. So so you know for me. You know, I was a BDR. Everyone should be a BDR for a year after college. <laughs> Everyone should be a BDR. It's just good lessons in life, yeah. I think. Um, but then I started, I was really curious about running businesses as a whole. Mm-hmm. And and not just the revenue or sales department. I went and did operations. I went and did product marketing. I did Love channels. It. Love it. Um, I did, you know, you know strategy right. consulting. I, I did all this stuff because... You know, for me, operating and running a business, any business or any division or any team, uh, it's better if you know the rest of the teams around you. Absolutely. And how it works. So um, I was not very good at marketing, by the way. <laughs> I did it for you. <laughs> well, we all have those things. I, I, I'm not a good marketer either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I freely admit to that. Um, yeah, no, I think it's so funny you brought that up because I think that's eons ago when I was getting started in my career. That was fairly common for the, let's, let's say bigger companies did this. You know, they would have these management training programs. They'd bring you in and you'd rotate from position to position to position to position. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd experience all the divisions, sales, marketing, just as you did. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, yeah, what a great grounding for people yeah. uh, to decide, hey, really, what do they want to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if you put your chips on sales and then it's like, well, I'm not really sure I like this. I mean, we're starting to see a bunch of that, right? But uh, no, it's fascinating. So then, how'd you back, end up back in sales? Yeah, uh, well, one of those one of those things I, I got the uh, privilege of being a chief of staff 
for a CEO and by chief of staff, I was the gopher. Yeah. I'd carry around laptop, carry, carry at the time it was Blackberry, carry back the laptop and I would sit in all these meetings and I would take notes right. I would be the one, and I'm typing emails out. And, and what I learned was um, that I, that I loved learning about customers and mm-hmm. my curiosity coming back and, mm-hmm. and every day and every meeting with a different person right i would learn about a different person a different company a different business yep and i was like whole it was like <laughs> it was like a light went off and i was like this is it this is this is where i'm supposed to be this is it yeah well i, I agree i mean i i i think that's what's kept me in sales for a really long time is and doing something like this podcast right you know with thousand plus episodes I tell people it's one of the most selfish things I've ever done because I get, where else do I get a chance to talk to all these really smart people and learn something? And I just think it'd be natural for sellers to want to do that. Hey, Andy, I, I thought I was, I never thought I was a rocket scientist, but, but I at least thought I was intelligent until I took your quiz. Oh. And then I was like, wow, <laughs> I can't believe I'm so off. <laughs> I took your online quiz. I'm so off. I got to get your book. Yeah. Not just the free chapter I have. I got to go read the whole thing to, oh, to learn. Better. Thank you. Yeah. No, Jerry's referring to the free free quiz we have on andypaul.com, which is a, it's meant to be a fun test about uh, how salesy are you? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't send that to anybody on my team, please. <laughs> like, you failed. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So you've you've you know grown into this position. I say you're what, president of field operations. So we've got this. I mean, you're obviously must be seeing some of the impact of supply chain issues. You know, the the, pro, the proverbial supply chain issues, and the impact it's having on some of your customers it seems like we're heading into a period where perhaps this is going to get more acute if we you know, enter into an actual recession, if we haven't already, or a period of stagflation. So how do you prepare your sales team? You know, you've been through this period of high growth. How are you preparing them for what might come? Um, it's an interesting question, Andy. Uh, I wish, I wish I could say there was some panacea, just do these two things. Right. It's going to be fine. Um, what I do know, but I do know, having gone through recessions, we've had them. Mm-hmm. They've been bad ones. I've lived through the dot com bust, mm-hmm. right? Two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there's we we've had lots of recessions. Right. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to be part of teams that always accelerated during those times. Accelerated. Mm-hmm. We always grew faster. We always added more teams, added more customers. Because I think, if nothing else, we will do the fundamentals that we always do. Our team right. will always do the fundamentals, which is we always start and stop with our customer, always with everything. Mm-hmm. We will always succeed as a team and we always, you know, make sure that we do what's right. And so if you do those, especially the customer part of it, right. You, know, you will always succeed no matter the market out there. And fortunately for us at Enable, um, with, you know, tightening supply chains, recessions, you know, Revenue and rebates mm-hmm. and dollars increasing revenue and decreasing is even more important, right? Which is exactly what our solution does. Got it. So it's, it's a very fortunate time. I don't wish an, an, a, a recession ever, but I tell you, you know, our business is accelerating. In these last three quarters, we have we have literally tripled uh, what we were the year before. So um, if, hopefully, it's not because of the market. Hope it's because we're getting better at our at our solution and our and our motion. Right. Probably both. Well, but I think you really hit on the key point, though, which I see is that 
I think a vulnerability for a number of companies is, you know, we've had these 14 years sort of since 2008 of somewhat uninterrupted growth is, yeah, I see a lot of sloppiness when it comes to execution, um, whether it's being, you know, as you said, making first start and stop with the customer or whatever. And it seems like there's going to be some pain in a lot of yeah. people that aren't focused on how do we really execute in the best interest of the customer in this tough time? Yeah. And, and, and even what are you doing to help your customer? Like what, what, tell me how your product or service helps a business. And if you can't tell me that right off the bat, all right. And, and if you can't tell me how you deliver that message, and then if you can't tell me about your company, like we, we talk a lot in our interviews and in our presentations and our executive meetings and our all hand meetings, we talk about, you know, you know, we have to know our customer and we have to know them better than them. Mm -hmm. We're some of the biggest companies in the world. We know divisions of our customers better than each of those divisions. Mm -hmm. We know the industry. We're the experts in it. We're like, let me show you what we've done here before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want to be curious on how this would help your business. And it might not. And that's okay. That's okay. But we have to know that account, know that industry, and know what we do to help that person or team um, before we can do anything else. Forget forget our product. Forget a proposal. Forget a sales thing. If you can't do all those things, right. you're never going to get your, your your customer successful. Right. So how do you how do you structure yourself? I mean, do you have success teams for existing customers, or do you have an account executive that stays with it beyond the order through implementation and so on? Is how do you how do you? We, we, we do all the above. Yeah. We do all the above, and we do it. You know, even better. Our our CEO was great that he said we will put customer success above anything else we the entire executive team has has okrs and we do net promoter scores and mm -hmm. we do customer help dashboards and we review them daily it's literally we what we review daily because if you focus on that everything else will work out right economy will go up and down it will right right focus on your customers and their success and how happy they are everything else will work out yeah and i was thinking in particular like identifying white space and new opportunities within the customer, you, you know, cause you made reference to, Hey, we understand a division that one of our customers better than they do themselves. Mm -hmm. How are you going about doing that, that knowledge acquisition about that, that division who's responsible really for that? Yeah. Well, one, I think everyone's responsible for it. Yeah. Everybody is responsible for it. It, it is not, I don't think learning about a business is, is hard. I, I don't, I think it's hard work. Yeah. Hard work, but it's not hard. You know, if they're public companies, we have many, many, right. you know, large, you know, they're, they're letter to shareholders, you know, management discussion and analysis, their press releases, their, you know, all this will tell you exactly what a company is focused mm -hmm. on. All this will tell you about them. Industry reports, right? You have to know the industry, not just one account. You have to know the industry as well. Um, you can do all that research. It takes a lot of time and energy. And, and, and when things are going really well in the world, People have a tendency to, to skip the fundamentals and skip right. the basics. Like, oh, I don't really need to know about that customer. I don't need to read that annual report. No, everything's going well. They're just going to buy something. And then right. things go bad and they wonder why their sales cycles or their motions or they're losing customers because they didn't do the fundamentals. So we always practice the fundamentals. Two years ago, now. And do, well, do you train your, I mean, given the complexity of what you work on, do you, excuse me, train your sales team and sort of financial literacy? Cause this, oh, absolutely. Because this, this is a big thing with me and not enough companies do this. You know, new people coming into the work world, they don't know anything about business. I knew nothing about business when I got started. 
Um, I don't think companies are active enough in, that's it, providing that type of just basic financial education to sellers. Yeah, I um, I, I try to share this on, on every every meeting I have, and I tell people with boards or investors or peers, mm-hmm. I think what is the number one missed, number one missed support for a successful revenue team is enablement. Mm-hmm. Enablement, right? And and we don't do that. And by the way, we you know we were a startup of you know. 20 people, 50 people, and, you know, we've had enablement from day one. I've right. had, I have a world-class enablement program and everyone goes through the exact same 30 day enablement where we do training certificate and like it is 30 days. Most of the time, I remember I've, I've worked at, you know, Fortune 100 customers and, you know, I've had a one day training and then I show up and I get my phone and laptop and they yep. say, here's your account list right. and that's it. Off you go. We right. do a 30 day training course, 30 days. And we're a startup. We're a small startup, by the way quickly and we're doing 30 days because i think um how you train people is how they're going to perform mm-hmm. that's what you're training them to do and how you constantly train so the first 30 days but we're not done every month we're doing product development every month we're doing customer discovery every month we're doing industry right? we're always constantly learning and getting better because that's a fundamental that makes us successful yeah and do you find that that then also helps in terms of retention i, I do and and it's and, and it's funny not the retention that you would think, yes, we have very, very low, um, you know, turnover. Mm-hmm. We have very low turnover. But people that do leave, I get a lot of them coming back. And they come back quickly and they say, hey, we went somewhere. <laughs> and by the way, you know, we had a two-hour onboarding. <laughs> and then, you know, we didn't have any of this structure, process, training, or support. And suddenly, like, you know, you know that, that wasn't such a great opportunity. Right. Yeah, no, I... I I can imagine. Yeah. Good boomerang effect with that. I mean, I, yeah. I always noticed that, you know, throughout my career too, is there's just, if, you, if you're a seller and I, yeah, I urge sellers to exercise more patience. And if you're in an environment where you are getting this type of enablement, you are getting this type of sport, you are getting this type of education. Yeah. Invest a little extra time. I think people, sellers too often just sort of have this instinct to sort of look at their watch and think, well, oh, I've been here 15 months, maybe it's time to start looking. It's like, give yourself another year at least. Just make sure you're really learning something that you can put to use. Yeah, Andy, you, you hit, you're exactly right. And, and I've really noticed when, when things are really going well, especially the last five years, I really noticed it. People would be like, you know, especially sellers, you know, something would get hard. Um, you know, they something would go wrong for a quarter or two and they'd be like, it's not worth it. I'm yep. going on to my next. <laughs> not worth it going on to my yeah. next and starting over. Yeah. Just because it's hard and something doesn't go right once doesn't mean that you should give up on it. Right? Normally, the best things in the world are really hard to achieve. Best things in the world are hard yep. to achieve. Yep. you got to work for them. Right? It's not easy. Everybody would do it. Yeah. Well, to your point, being a BDR, I mean, that's that's not easy. That's hard. That's hard. That was before they had sales. Like now they have the automated sales off and gong and everything else. Before I was doing those emails and calls all by myself back in 98 when I started it. I didn't have LinkedIn. <laughs> I couldn't find people. Well, I, I started well before that and and we had none, none of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were making cold calls on the street. Yeah, out, yeah and somebody might make 50 dials a day. But I was making 30 cold calls in person. Um, yeah. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. <laughs> you have an incentive to do what you have to do to get past that phase of the business. Yeah. <laughs> Trust you. It's like, oh yeah, there are more fun. The more fun things I could be doing, I better yeah. Which was getting trained for the next 
more complex yeah. thing I could sell is like, yeah, I got to find a way to succeed doing this and get this done quickly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, well, Jerry, well, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, Andy, it was great. It was great catching up with you. I appreciate it. Enjoy the sun down there and that lovely town of yours. And let me know when you're back in the Bay Area. Love yeah, well, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I just, yeah. I'd, yeah. Fascinating what you guys do. I think like there are these hidden things. I mean, what you do is, is great. We've had people on the show before, like there's all these marketplaces that are on, you know, exist now, online marketplaces that, you know, steel and all these other things. They're just disrupting markets in ways and most people just aren't aware of it. So I, yeah, always fascinated to learn about something like this. Definitely, definitely. I'm excited and I look forward to continuing seeing all your posts. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, ordering my book. So uh, <laughs> I'll look forward to talking to you about that. All right, Jerry, thanks a lot. Bye, Andy. Have a great weekend. You too. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Jerry Bruner, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>